Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. Very, oh, man. Very special we're like, recording. We're over a year into this pandemic now. I thought you were going to be like, we're so over it. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, this is where we're going. No, I know. We're over a year in this pandemic. Uh, over a year since we've been working from home. Yes. At least our office. Yes. We're still in it for the foreseeable future. I mean, there's light at the end of the tunnel. People are getting vaccinated. Absolutely. I got mine back in January. January or February? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> but we're getting there. We're hoping in here in California. I mean, I'm seeing states all across the country where 16 and older are all becoming eligible. So, you know, I know people are really hesitant to get the vaccine, but, you know, I can tell you, I got it. I'm okay. I know many people have gotten it and they're okay. I know people are hesitant. Obviously, do your research if you're a high risk, but I just can't uh, your PSA, advocate it enough. PSA for the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's important. I think it's important. I don't think a lot uh, enough people talk about, you know, how easy or, or well they're doing after the vaccine. I think people talk about the adverse effects that they may be experiencing, which is simply just the vaccine working so you tend to hear a lot more about that and the media will sometimes sensationalize that more so it's important for people to hear you know of people's experiences because you know if it's uneventful you're not really like saying too much about it and of course like there's my turn there's all these websites you know if you are still trying to get it california is doing an amazing job i think over 20 million vaccines have been distributed or given and i think as we go on the efficiency with which they're doing it. And then especially like Johnson & Johnson is just like one shot, right? So that kind of speeds up the process as well. So it's really interesting to see for sure. It is. And I mean, I know a lot of people who are like kind of hesitant because they think, well, we've been in this for a year and I haven't gotten it. So I'll be fine. But, you know, everyone's been, you know, for the most part trying to take precautions. So maybe that's why you didn't get it. But at the end of the day, most people get the flu shot. Right. It's going to be very similar. I mean, yeah, some of the adverse directions, like I will say, it kicked my ass the first day. But one day of not feeling great is way better than however bad it could be. And, you know, think about this. Like, if you vaccinated your kids or you were vaccinated, it's very similar. Like, it shouldn't be politicized. And I hate that it's become so political. It really shouldn't be. It's about just making sure that as many people as possible are safe and we can go back to work and we can go back to, you know, going out for brunch. And, you know, Absolutely. I think this won't be the same for a while, but the quicker we can get everyone vaccinated, the quicker we can all, I mean, they just came out with the travel guidelines that if you're vaccinated now, you're right. good to go with traveling and seeing people without masks. If, you know, it's small groups. So light at the end of the tunnel. Definitely. And, you know, I think it's okay if people want to continue wearing masks and washing their face. I think we should normalize that, especially around flu season. But yeah, I think 
you know, time will tell. And one of the reasons why, like, this is just so much in our mindset is with the year anniversary of the pandemic, we really wanted to take a look back at California specific Senate bills. And, you know, remember how we thought, oh, there might be waivers of like certain things. We kind of just want to revisit that and then prep you guys for summer and for the fall. So and you might notice it's just us. We're not oh, saying. Oh, yeah. It's just us. We have an exciting guest. I know. That's I why I say said it was a very special episode. I said that at the beginning. But then we oh. got caught off track. <laughs> so people were like, Whoa, way to bury the lead. That's true. So, yes, it's just us. So. It's just us today, but like Vicky said, yeah, we're going to, you know, kind of rehash what's happened and prep you because everyone's asking what's next, whether your schools are starting to go back in person, hybrid, or you're planning for maybe you decided you're not going to have your kids go back until the fall. It's seeming likely that most kids will be back in person in the fall. It's going to look different, but they'll be back. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, the goal is to have it, you know, obviously be somewhat of a traditional school day and if that's the angle awesome even if it's hybrid I think there's still a lot that can be done and so one of the first places we wanted to start obviously is you know children with IEPs are meant to have individualized and appropriate educations right a free appropriate public education everybody knows what free is everybody knows what public education is for the most part obviously pre-COVID we don't know what the heck it is now (laughs) but we man and I have a job because of what is appropriate right so the way that we're able to kind of quantify this is that you know what are the child's needs and is the team providing support services aids that are individualized right to those children's needs school districts receive funding and you know for providing a fape and And in some cases over the last year have been provided extra funding that like is supposed to be to ensure that individualization occurs absolutely and so something else that we kind of have seen and, and we'll talk about what the end of the 19-2020 school year looked like, you know, March to June. But basically, you know, assessments were to still be conducted, right? And I think that that's important. You know, I've had so many assessments conducted in the last couple of months and kind of what are, you know, what was the point of it? You know, what can we do about it? So that's just kind of like a little rough draft of like where we're going. So I think it's important to start, and I know this is California specific, but a lot of different states did things differently. So I don't want parents to think, well, this last year was a wash. It shouldn't be, right? The whole goal was to try to be collaborative with teams at the end of the 1920 school year to kind of see, okay, we have a couple of months, you know, what's happening? Are we keeping everything as is? Are we trying to provide virtual instruction when possible? And I think that while some teams did an okay job, a lot of teams just didn't know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where we kind of see at least California Senate Bill 117, which was just like the height of the pandemic, right? Like basically temporary waivers of existing state laws governing the like California public schools. So that's why you saw But it was mostly timelines. It wasn't anything substantial. It was more, you know, we're extending the timelines to complete assessments that were already underway during the 1920 school year. But that bill only extended 
through August, right? Yeah, and then we picked up with the new school year. So, you know, some kids only had packets. Some kids only had an hour a day. It just, it really varied, right? And it was just like, hey, okay, we're just going to call it the year was complete like February 29, 2020. Like all the average daily attendance is going to be reported through February 29th, right? And that had to do with funding. So that, you know, obviously when children show up to school, there's a certain amount of money that is paid to the school for every seat that's filled, right? So basically during that time, it was just like, look, instructional average daily minutes, that's all done and taken care of, right? And like Amanda said, we were looking at, you know, if you were requesting records, you know, the within five business days was extended. I think for the most part, you know, we had some hiccups with some schools, but we were able to get records within a reasonable amount of time. And they were digital, which was even better, even though we always asked for it to be digital. It was better than having like the paper. Well, the important thing to note too, is that the state Senate bill, so whether we're talking about California or other states, is that the state law doesn't trump the federal law. So the IDEA. So while California has very specific, very short timelines, five days to receive records, 15 days to get a response on a request, 30 days to hold an IEP, the IDEA still stands. So a lot of the IDEA is reasonable time. So that's where like, just because the extension of the five days in the California law has been extended doesn't mean that they can be unreasonable amount of delay. So if you have electronic record system and somebody is working, then there's no reason why the family shouldn't get the records within reasonable time. And, and, and what's a reasonable time? Yeah. Five days might not be reasonable depending on the, you know. And that was like California specific, right? Like the bigger federal timelines were like not waived. It wasn't something that, you know, we could push through anyway, right? We still had to have IEP meetings. And it's different if the team reached out to you and had said, hey, we need to reschedule and you agreed, right? If you, if the parties mutually agreed, then, you know, then you mutually agreed, right? You're not able to come back and be like, hey, I was supposed to have my annual IP and you guys didn't, right? Like you agreed. And, you know, everybody was just trying to do the best that they could. It's okay if you agreed to that because you should have had that meeting in the fall. And we were hopeful that we were going to be able to have some semblance of normalcy, but we didn't and that's okay. But I think it's important to kind of know the difference between what your state law may have waived and what like the actual, like the federal law was like never waived, right? And then in April of 2020, we were able to get some clarity from the federal government, right? And that's when Betsy DeVos had indicated like, hey, we're not like waiving anything. And that was a big rumor, right? It was just like, oh no, districts are just gonna like get off the hook. And it was like, no. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of districts from March to June weren't doing as much because they thought they were gonna get off the hook. And it doesn't make it right, but, you know, we get asked a lot, why, 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 why are districts doing or not doing certain things? And I think that's the why. But regardless, anything that happened between March to April, I mean, March to June of 2020 is kind of fair game in terms of your right to file for due process for violations with the exception of certain timeline things. Everything else, the substantial FAPE requirement still existed. Right. Absolutely. And I think before we kind of go into like what, you know, 
you guys can be doing to like prepare yourselves for summer and fall. Just really quickly, we had Senate Bill 98 as well that had passed. And basically this was for the 2020-2021 school year. And it was trying to establish more of a structure, right? Hey, you have to have this many minutes of instruction that needs to be distance learning. Distance learning was even like defined in a different way. You know, it needs to be like a two-way kind of interaction with the teacher, not just packets, things like that. And one other thing um, that I think was unique for California was to do these kind of emergency conditions, emergency contingency plans that were added to a lot of IEPs that I had in the fall of 2020, which it's still happening. But it was basically like, what do we do if an emergency like this happens again? And I think that was really in response to what was happening between March and June that, you know, the IEP teams were saying, and even the schools were like, well, we're going to give everyone two hours a day of, you know, quote unquote, instructional time. And, you know, the state realized, well, there's not consistency here. We need to make sure that there's enough school time. But then also with IEPs, there was no clarity because IEPs were not being changed because IEPs were written for in person. And then these like plans that Vicki mentioned were having to be established because parents had no idea what services were being provided to their kid. You know, there was a lot of discrepancies from one provider or another. No one really knew what services. I mean, I had so many IEPs between March and June where we just had to ask, what are you even offering? Because nobody seemed to know. So I think these plans were meant to make it clear, like this isn't changing the IEP. The IEP is still based on in-person, but during distance learning, this is what we're providing so that the expectations are clear. Absolutely. And so you're in 2020, 2021, you may have had your annual IEP meeting, and what happens? Child may not have made progress on their goals, or what I did see with a lot of the meetings that we had in um, the prior school year, it was like the child should have had their IEP in March. So there was like data up until that point of the child making progress or not making progress, right? It started getting tricky when we were in the fall of 2020, 2021, and we were at IEP meetings where they say, well, we weren't able to record anything in terms of data because we are in distance learning. Or you were seeing things like so many different things. That's like the biggest thing that I can think of without going off the rails um, in terms of, you know, what we've been hearing from districts and really just kind of putting the blame on like, well, it was COVID and there is no waiver of any of that stuff. Like this was the time for school districts to think outside the box, to be innovative. And I think that advantage um, for these parents is that it's not simply like, oh, hey, judge, you know, we were in a pandemic and my child, we need specifics, right? Like, was the teacher or was the SAI teacher pulling out for the hour of SAI? Was it 45 minutes? Was it 30 minutes? Were they trying to be collaborative with you if you were a parent? that was able to facilitate a one-to-one with your child. You are now in control of the data, right? And if you haven't been taking it, it's okay. Just sit and think or look back at your child's goals. Even just from moving forward to this point, even at the end of the school year, it'll be a really good way for you to kind of see and combat anything that the district may say, right? Like I, I had this IEP and it was like, you know, we couldn't take progress on the goals, but then it was like, the March like little progress was like, yeah, I've seen her talk to some friends or talk to other people or talk to her parent. And it was like a socialization goal, but it was like, 
that you what you can't just say that like you know so you know right. some of these districts right. are already kind of putting into place right. i mean i know you've well, seen some I, things too i heard a lot we weren't able to work on these goals because there wasn't direct instruction but they mastered the skill or they made progress and so my kind of response to that is either a they didn't actually master the skill and that's not accurate reporting or B if they truly did master that skill without direct instruction, that means that was not an appropriate goal to begin with. So that means last year's IEP was inappropriate. So, you know, these are the things that we want to look at, but the bottom line is during COVID, there were no substantive waivers at all. The district, the school is required to provide the same free appropriate public education as they always have been. It may look different and judges may look at it. I mean, we're always looking at appropriate, meaningful progress. There's all these terms that we kind of, there's not a clear cut answer on what's appropriate, what's meaningful, but zero progress, zero implementation, definitely clear that's not okay. The courts have been pretty clear that if the IEP says that the student is supposed to be receiving 300 minutes of SAI a week, and the student receives zero SAI or only a hundred. That is one hundred percent clear cut violation that the other two hundred minutes or the other three hundred if they hadn't received any has not been provided, there's a violation no matter what. So, you know, we are seeing a good chunk of IEPs not being implemented fully. Right. Now, one thing that, that you have to look at is was it, you know, a substantial non implementation. So if they're supposed to be getting 60 minutes a week and they're getting 50 and they're still making okay progress, then maybe that's not a clear cut violation. But, you know, if there's a big discrepancy in what they should have received and what they didn't receive, um, and we're seeing a lot with aid support. Um, I'd say the majority of kids that are supposed to be getting AIDS either weren't getting aid support at all, or they were getting aid support virtually where the aide is just observing, taking data. They're not actually providing support. So that, that's not appropriate either. Yeah. And I think what's also important is for parents to realize that this was a very unique time. We can have empathy and sympathy for a lot of the great things that a lot of these teachers were doing. But I also think that the opportunity for collaboration was at its height during this pandemic. And for the parent that was able to, again, sit next to their child or or provide some form of support should have really been... I don't want to say like train, but really should have been more involved, right? In so far as, you know, being able to have a say about certain things or even just having someone check in with them and, you know, that, and, and I get it. Everybody was trying to do that. And I say this because I know some teams that did do this, right? So mm-hmm. it's difficult when, you know, you have a parent who is not a teacher by any means, but that was asking for help. That was asking for more support in several different ways, and that wasn't provided. So, you know, for us, having these evaluations during COVID, obviously there's going to be kind of a little asterisk, right? It wasn't even if it was done in person, there's, you know, some of the safety gear that was used. I know for one of my cases, the child's IQ was like lowered and it just 
she was a child with dyslexia and it's not one of those things where your IQ really changes um, year to year. It's pretty basic and everybody agreed, hey, big asterisks, we couldn't understand her through her mask or we couldn't, you know, it was just, uh-huh. you know, those are things that are going to be really important, even though the districts are trying to do the best that they could, you know, I think that they're, if you don't agree with it, I I think that that's important as well, especially if you're gearing up to request like an independent educational evaluation in the fall, right? So that it's in person. I know some parents have chosen not to do their triennial assessments because it would have just been a records review. I think that if they're handing you an assessment plan, you know, with so little time in the school year left, obviously make sure that it would have would happen, you know, all within this school year and so that you can make a decision as to whether you want to push it or not because we could we can both parties can mutually agree to do so in the hopes that you know we're gonna be open or, or somewhat normal or whatever that means in the yeah fall. I mean because it's hard because like especially if we're talking about something like behavior if yeah. right now there's certain behaviors in the home setting and the expectation is that the student is going to be back in person in the fall having an assessment right now and making a proposal for say a behavior support plan for in person when you're taking data at home, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really do us any good. We kind of need that data in person, but in certain circumstances where the student has regressed in certain areas, it may be important to have an assessment now and not wait. So it really should be an individualized decision. There's no right or wrong way. Like Vicki said, you can mutually agree to push the assessments if it's appropriate for that child. Right. I know that there are some school districts that are pushing for assessments to be done right now. In fact, I'm having some families that are getting threatened with due process if they don't agree. Um, So, you know, what I'm kind of telling most families is, look, if the district is really pressuring you to do an assessment right now and you really don't think it's going to be appropriate for either the reason of, you know, the circumstances of right now, it not being in person, or maybe it's going to be in person, but they have to wear masks and they have a speech and language delay. Those are all things noted. And I'm saying even like when you do an assessment, when you sign the assessment plan, say, okay, we're reluctantly agreeing to this, but here are my concerns. Make it known what your concerns are. And if in the fall we have the IEP or you have the IEP right before, these are all things that you can challenge the assessment if you don't agree with the results because the assessment was taken in one setting and the recommendations are being made for a different setting. That's a reason to say that it's not appropriate. If, you know, the student has an articulation deficit and they're having to be assessing through a mask, right. how accurate is that? Right. You know, so there, there's going to be ways that you can talk about how the assessment may or may not be valid. There's going to be circumstances where the assessment might be a good idea and mm-hmm. there's some where it might not, especially if they're insisting on it being in person and you're not ready for your child to be back in person. So Absolutely. it's all going to be individualized, but, you know, just know that anything happening right now, everything's going to change once we go back in person. Right. So one of the things that should be contemplated is any regression that the child has experienced. And so like the guidance, like from the Cal, I I think it was the California Department of Education. I don't think it was the federal government. I haven't had enough coffee yet. So pardon my mind, but we had read that the guidance was as soon as we go back to in-person, we should be having IEP meetings and we should be contemplating if the child had experienced regression. And if they did, we need to be contemplating any compensatory education to make the child whole. The problem that we ended up facing was that we weren't 
okay, were we back in person when it's hybrid and the child's there three days a week or two days a week? Or are we not back in person because technically it's still hybrid and the parent would still have to facilitate certain things, right? So even though I've asked this and have been asking in these last couple of IEPs since obviously spring semester started, I'm not getting any answers from the IEP team, right? Nobody knows what the heck was going to happen. In my mind, it would be to their advantage. Obviously, we have an IEP. It's saying the child made no progress on any of their, you know, 10 goals. So why would we not contemplate what compensatory education would look like? I think as a team, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed because guess what? There are plenty of private agencies that are providing in-person and or probably will, especially over the summer. And why wouldn't we take advantage of the summer to try and get the child to be complete. Yeah, and there's very little places in the country now where some in-person isn't allowed. Most states have made allowances for certain IEP services to be provided in person. And so, you know, what I've been telling families is, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask for it. And what the school should be doing is, like, if a student is not accessing the curriculum and if there's any form of hybrid or any form of some services in person, if that child needs more, so like I was in an IEP the other day where the general education in person time is starting, I think like next week is oh, okay. two days a week for two hours. So I told the IEP team, this is a student who needs five days a week of instruction because he's not making progress. So we're requesting that student get five days a week, at least two hours. And that's appropriate. The school absolutely has the ability to do that because some in-person instruction is allowed. So therefore the IEP, but you know, they didn't come to the table with anyone who has the authority to make decisions, even though they're supposed to. Right. So they said, well, we'll have to respond to you in writing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a problem because yeah. now it's been a week. Next week starts in person and we still don't know what's going to be offered to the student. So, right. you know, but something to think about for families is that if we're dealing with the rest of the school year and, and if your school district has provided some in-person instruction, whether it be just for IEP services or for general education, the IEP team should be meeting to talk about, does this individual student need more than that? Because it's the same as you would be in person normally during traditional times. Right. If the student needs something individualized more, the IEP team can offer it. Absolutely. And they could have been offering it the entire time right. as well. And we get it. There, you know, safety issues. Some districts weren't able to get the funding, or schools weren't able to get the funding for the right, you know, gear or anything like that. We totally understand understanding of that. But you know, the mentality of like we can't do anything really was eliminated by April, definitely by May. So for us, you know, sitting here, kind of looking at everything, you know, it's been disappointing to say the least. You know, we were very hopeful that districts would be able to think outside the box. And even pre-COVID, there were certain school districts that already were thinking outside the box, but we were hoping that that would expand or people would share more information about how they're implementing things. And that just didn't happen. So it is very frustrating to when you come to the table and they're just like, well, what do you want? And it's like, I'm not in a position as a parent and even sometimes as an attorney to sit here and dictate what it is that, like, I could tell you what it is that we would like. You're not going to like to hear it because it's going to be a private agency because you haven't been providing what it is that you're supposed to be providing. But it's not our job to come up with instructional tools. It is the instructional team. It's the education Mm -hmm. team that's supposed to be coming up with it. And, you know, this entire year I've been telling parents, look, 
it's their job to come up with suggestions for accommodations, for modifications, for supports to help this kid. But if they're not, at least we can do is mitigate the damages. So we're going to ask, you know, and I've been trying and, but that's something where every time I've had to ask an IEP team to provide something, even if they've reluctantly agreed to it, doesn't make it all better because there were months and right. in some cases, right. a year where this support hadn't been provided. And if it hadn't been for me and the parent coming in and requesting it, exactly. it wouldn't have happened. Well, so and there's still That's what's an frustrating issue. for a lot of my clients as well is that they were having to come to the table and make certain requests. And it was still kind of, you know, twisting of arms. But I think that if the teams, and it's okay to be honest and vulnerable, we don't know what the heck is happening, but we are open to suggestions and ideas. And I was, there were some teams and some teams that I currently am still in that have been like that. And I'm telling you right now, because it appears that they care as to what parent is saying, like actually saying, and they've done little things, just little, little things. That parent has been satisfied, right? To a they're less extent. likely to file for the They're less likely, yeah, because it's not, oh, man, this whole year was a wash. It was like, you know what? I know that you guys were trying to do your best, and I wholly appreciate it. And, you know, this is what I'm thinking for moving forward. And, like, you know, the teams that were able really to collaborate, those are the ones that, you know, fill my heart with joy and the teachers and everything like that. But unfortunately, the majority of the people, you know, we're sitting here and we're contemplating complaints, right, for this past year as we're getting into some of the yearly IEPs, right, that, you know, it's been a year in COVID. So, you know, at the beginning, you would have had goals that, knowing you were in a pandemic for a couple months, knowing that at least for the foreseeable couple months you were going to be in a pandemic, you had all the information in front of you to provide appropriate supports and goals, and even maybe to change those goals to a certain extent to fit that model that you're in. But then it was like, no, we're just going to, it's like business as usual. And it was just like, okay, but what's going to happen? Like, so that's where we're here, right? What's going to happen when that doesn't work, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, don't worry if you haven't had an IEP meeting the entire year and now you're having it. It's quite all right. I think that the two takeaways from this recording is that, you know, you are the holder of information of the data, right? And so you are more than ever the most important component of that IEP team because you have been the parent and the teacher and you have seen firsthand the education that your child has been provided or not provided. So we we want you guys to feel empowered to speak up even more so than before and to really keep your wits about you with the evaluations and with knowing, you know, what it is that a school district and if they say, oh well, you know, the law says this okay, can you please provide that to me in writing? Because I would like to follow up on that. You know, that, yeah, because that was no, pre-COVID stuff. You're going to be stuff. receiving your procedural safeguards, but it's not going to say anything about COVID. It's not yeah. going to say anything about this year. Absolutely. So, you know, you have a right to that information. And, yeah. you know, one thing to note, we've talked about statute limitations in the past. Yeah. We've talked about how you have a two-year statute limitations for all IDEA claims. That doesn't change now. Right, so, right. you know, that's something that you need to keep in mind. If there were things wrong with your IEP or your educational program before COVID, yes. now it's been a year that maybe you've just been trying to tread water. Right. And now you may only have a year left of that such limitations. And anything with COVID, you only have two years and it's now been a year. So just keep that in mind that if you think that you have a claim 
Or if, you know, when we go back in person, there's no, the team is like, well, let's just wait till we're in person longer to see if comp ed is entitled. Well, they could be pushing and delaying you until after such a limitation. So you want to make sure that if this is something that your child has regressed, they haven't made mm-hmm. progress, they should have received services, they didn't, you know, and you have a claim to file for due process, just keep in mind the timing on when that due process needs to be filed, two years from the date of the violation. From the day that you knew or should have known that you should have filed, essentially. And so we're telling you, if your child has not made progress on goals, you have two years from that date of that IEP to essentially bring bring a complaint against the district. And, you know, it's one of those things, like Amanda said, that, you know, we may be holding out, you know, for when we have more information, but you do not want to let it fester any longer than it should. So hopefully that was a lot of information that you're able to digest. (laughs) It was just a man and I today. You know, we thought it was important. We'll have a couple more of these as the school year kind of starts winding down. Um, And so if you have any kind of concerns with things that you're seeing in your particular area um, and IEP meetings, please let us know so that we can dive in deeper and kind of help you guys uh, navigate these new waters. Yeah, just you can send us um, an email. You can send us a message on Instagram. I know we've been taking some polls on, you know, what you want us to talk about, whether it's COVID related or not. Because, you know, as we go back in person, we might be talking about things that aren't really COVID related that are just in person related. So let us know and we'd be happy to kind of touch on those bases. And, um, you know, we'll keep chugging along. (laughs) And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.